Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have on the show today a special guest, Dr. Michael Laidlaw, who is a endocrinologist. endocrinologist. Uh, he has an MD from University of California and has been practicing endocrinology for a number of years and has recently, as in the last several years, uh, become involved with uh, the medical side of certain aspects of the trans conversation. As an endocrinologist, he has a lot of expertise in the area of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And that's exactly what we talk about today. I wanted to have him on the show because Michael is extremely level-headed, fair, balanced, kind. Um, and he's he. Uh, I think he does a great job giving us what we know and don't know from an endocrinologist's perspective about uh, using different hormones that your body hasn't naturally produced or using certain you know puberty blockers to prevent the natural process of puberty from happening. So that is the focus of our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw, become part of the Theology in the Raw community. And I just want to give a massive shout out to uh, the growing number of you who have been uh, supporting the show. Um, our show has really grown in the last, especially several months. Um, it's it's broken into the top 100 um, Christian podcasts in the United States, at least. Uh, it's even ranking in uh, Great Britain um, and Canada. And I get listeners from all over the world. So if you're outside the U.S., uh, thank you for listening to Theology in the Raw and for putting up with my accent <laughs> and my Americanisms. But thank you so much for those of you who are part of the Theology in the Raw community and are supporting the show. Truly, thank you. That it uh, really does keep the show going. And I can't thank you enough for valuing the work that we're doing here at Theology in the Raw enough to financially support us. So again, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw if you want to be part of that community. Okay, without further ado, let's get to know the one and only Dr. Michael Laidlaw. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I'm here with my friend, Dr. Michael Laidlaw, who is an endocrinologist and agreed to come on the show to talk about the um, medical side of a very controversial issue I'm a pu puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, especially when it comes to uh, trans-identified teenagers. Um, if you're not aware, uh, I think probably most people listening or watching are very aware, but if you're not aware, this has become a, a major controversial conversation in the medical field, in, in just in ethical conversations as a whole. So, uh, Michael, I'll, is it okay if I call you Michael instead of doctor? Yeah, Michael's from? fine, yeah. Mike, okay, Mike. whatever. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. Good, good, good to see you again, Preston. Why don't we, uh, yeah. I would love to just briefly, you know, get to know you. Who are you? Uh, tell us about your medical practice. And then how did you get into this conversation about uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones? Sure. Well, I, I'm just um, an ordinary endocrinologist. I have a small private practice in uh, Rockland, California. We're kind of east of Sacramento, 15 miles or so. Um, I trained as a medical doctor down University of Southern California, um, I did a specialty training in internal medicine and then endocrinology, primarily adult endocrinology, but we dealt with some uh, teen adolescent issues and, and there's some pediatric training that goes into it minimal. But um, to understand adults, you have to, to some degree, understand what happens as a child, what happens through development and growth all the way from the embryo up to adulthood. Um, 
So yeah, I, I completed specialty training uh, down in Southern California, a fellowship endocrinology, and was kind of just minding my own business, doing my own thing um, until in Rockland. And you may recall this story. Um, there's a book and a show called I Am Jazz. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in Rockland, um, there was a big, you know, it made national news, I believe. And I first heard about it, I think, on the radio, that this I Am Jazz book, a, a, a transgender book for kids, was read in the local kindergarten class. Mm. And parents were rather upset about why that happened and what was going on. And I've heard different versions of the story, but it, what it sounds like, it was a kindergarten class. Uh, there was a boy um, who had gender dysphoria gender dysphoria being um, this uh, discomfort level, um, anxiety, different psychological effects that come with believing that, that, um, that your physical body parts don't match who you are inside. So this kindergarten uh, student had this problem as a boy, believed it was a girl. And to introduce the students to it, apparently the teacher took it on her own to read this I Am Jazz book. What's I am Jazz? Jazz Jennings uh, is a person who identifies as transgender, born a boy, has gone at this point through hormones and surgeries um, to have the physical appearance of, of a female mm-hmm. and wrote a book to, I guess, introduce young people to what was going on. And I was concerned because I thought, what are kindergartners really going to understand about this? And why, why is it being pushed so hard? And the people on that side would not give up. And there were attorneys involved and things like that to force this book into the school, as far as I saw it. But a parent, uh, you know, said to me, hey, you really need to look at this book. Look at it as an endocrinologist. What do you think about it? And I, I had kind of dismissed it as, well, I don't know. It's just a kid's book. But when I started reading it, I, I was disturbed by what I read. What, what was disturbing about, about it? At some point in the book, and I, you, can, you can have the book read to you on YouTube. That's why I went to YouTube, listened to it, and I think they've got the words with it. But there was some line to the effect of um, the doctor diagnosed me as transgender. And there's a picture of a very young kid there. And I thought to myself, how would a doctor diagnose a person, a kid, as transgender? I mean, what is the test that they did? Did they do some sort of scan, MRI scan? Did they do blood tests? Did they do chromosomal testing? What was it exactly to give that doctor such confidence that, oh yes, you know, this person needs to go on this trajectory, which we'll describe with hormones and surgery and so forth, uh, to grow up in in an adult body that's opposite what they were born with. So that bothered me. The other thing that bothered me is that uh, there's some line to the effect of, you know, I have a a girl brain inside a boy body. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, this sounds very medically, <laughs> biologically suspect. <laughs> How would that happen? You know, and, and like I said, in endocrinology, you know, if you want to understand glands hormones, you have to go way back to the beginning, way back to embryology. You know, how did we develop? You know, and somewhere around eight to 12 weeks when the baby is developing in the womb, And as you probably know, you don't start out with a heart or brain or fingers or things like that. These things have to develop over time. You start with one cell and they divide and and then they're apportioned in different ways into all of our wonderful organs, including our our sex organs. Mm -hmm. You know, be they ovaries for for females, testicles for for males, penis, uterus, you know, the whole the whole uh, the whole set are created in a certain way. And 
without being too technical, there's two different systems of ducts or tubes that will develop into either male organs or female organs. And, and what happens is if, if you're, if you have testosterone produced, you're, you're going to become a male, you're going to develop penis, uh, testicles and so forth. Um, if you're, that comes from these, um, that and other things form the, the male organs. And the thing is those tubes, those little tubes that are going to fail could form female organs. They're obliterated. They disappear. They're gone forever. You can't get them back again. You can't later say, well, I really wish I could have grown a uterus, so I'll, you know, I'll activate this system. We can't do it. It's medically impossible. So there's, there's a split. There's a, a bifurcation. A, there's a divergence around 12 weeks, say, where you can no longer develop those sex organs mm-hmm. of the opposite sex. And we know that testosterone in particular is going to form the male um, organs. And there are people, and, and you may have... Um, uh, heard of it, like testicular effeminization syndrome, where a person's born with testicles, but all of their cells are impervious to the effects of testosterone. Mm -hmm. So they look and uh, are basically grow up as females because they don't develop a penis, they don't develop, uh, you know, sperm and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So it's testosterone really that makes this split between males and females. And, and so I said to myself, going back to the brain issue, well, how could you be born with a, a girl brain in a boy body? You had obviously jazz had testosterone circulating throughout the body because as you find out from the show, he, he formed a penis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why would those hormones not go into the brain and have their effects on the brain? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Would it, does it stop somewhere? Your, your hormones circulate through your whole body. We know that. So the effects of hormones are going to be uh, on the brain during development and uh, early development and teen development and so on and so forth. So while there's no particular male or female brain, you can't find organs inside the brain and say, oh, yeah, that's a male. I can see it on an MRI. That must be a male brain or a female brain. There's things that are suggestive, but there's nothing definitive. It really is just one type of brain. They may develop slightly differently. Um, but there's really one type of brain. So, th- so those two big inaccuracies really led me to uh, say there's something seriously wrong with this and the school board needs to know about this. So let me know if I'm going on too long. But no, this kind of keeping a lot of the topics that you, you, you probably, you know, want to discuss yeah. because it's really what did it for me. And, you know, this, um, I ended up writing, there was an article got published and people got around about the Siam jazz, but it started as a, a letter to my school board. I wanted to say, Hey, I'm a local endocrinologist. I, I know a thing or two about hormones and, and, and this sort of thing. Um, I'd like to describe to you, while you may think there's benefit, and, and there is benefit in helping kids to understand about their bodies and yeah. uh, why someone might have gender dysphoria, there's definitely a benefit in making kids comfortable and safe and all that. I don't disagree with that a bit, you know. But let's be accurate about the science, A. And B, are you really going to tell kindergartners about negative effects that can happen later on in life because of hormones and surgeries. You know, are we going to go and and I, you know, I went to several board meetings with the parents and I discussed some of these topics and I sent a letter and I hit on some of the things I just said, but you know, if you really want to go to the ultimate extreme and and this ended up happening to jazz, jazz underwent surgery, as you you may, may or may not know. 
And there was difficulties even planning the surgery. And how do I know this? Because it's it's on the I Am Jazz TLC show. You can watch it. Yeah. I did my homework. I, I looked at it. And I said, there's an issue here because jazz got puberty blockers. Mm-hmm. So I can talk a little bit about that. You know, what are puberty blockers? Puberty blockers are really powerful hormones that send a signal to the pituitary, which is a controlling gland in the body. And during uh, adolescent development, it basically initiates and progresses puberty in the body. All the changes you might that you know from males and females. And so if you give this type of blocking hormone, you, you can freeze, you can freeze the process in place. Now, what happens there? Well, the the organs aren't going to develop. As, as a male develops, the testicles get larger, the p- penis enlar- um, you know, elongates, there's differences in color, you know, pubic hair development, the whole thing. That, that's all frozen. It's, it's stunted. And because of that, the penis length is, is short compared to an adult male, which makes the surgery very technically difficult. <clears throat> because normally what they would do is, um, you know, take a, a full length male penis and remove the insides and then yeah. turn it inside mm-hmm. out, you know, and, and form this, uh, what's supposed to be a vaginal cavity. You can't do that with a very tiny, you know, puberty blocked mm-hmm. one. So what they actually ended up doing, it sounds like is taking a piece of large intestine and cutting it in such a way and swinging it over to connect to other tissue. And, and as it may sound, that's, that gets to be a complicated surgery. Yeah. I think Jazz had to go back once or twice, you know, for revisions. I I did hear about that. Now, yeah, I, I I've um yeah, I know we're getting really technical here, but uh, this is theology in the raw, folks. So <laughs> sorry, <laughs> yeah, expect raw, nothing less. Raw. No, no, but these are these are very live questions. Um, I want to go back and pick up on the puberty blocker conversation yeah. because. Um, I just had a conversation recently with somebody who said, look, we know that these have been used before. And I, this is something I'm sure you've heard a lot. Um, they're perfectly safe. You hit pause. And yeah. if you don't want to keep going with cross-sex hormones, you just stop taking blockers. And then you go into puberty again and everything's fine. Like right. there's no, these are perfectly safe. They're perfectly fine. Is that perspective um, medically verifiable from, from your endocrinologist perspective? I, to me, that's inaccurate. Yeah. And, and that's another thing that struck me as I was, as reading about these uh, blockers, because there is a condition uh, you've, you've, I'm sure uh, heard of called precocious puberty, where let's say uh, a girl who's um, four or five starts to undergo to puberty development like they might if they were 11 or 12. And that's usually a genetic reason. And so they, they start to develop much earlier than, than the average kid. And it can be stopped through these puberty blocking medications. That's a, that's a use that's labeled that the FDA has approved Mm-hmm. And has been determined to be safe. I mean, that even that has some controversies, but uh, that's a legitimate use of medication. Well, real quick, just logically, <laughs> as somebody who's not obviously not a medical anybody, um, but it seems like that is those using blockers in that sense is addressing an issue that has to do with the actual thing that's being administered. Like um, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, that that's one of the point. Yeah, that's 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 perfect because that, that's one of the points that I've made. I mean, there you have a an abnormal condition, and you're trying to correct it by really blocking puberty till a more normal time, and then stopping the medication, and after some period of time, a year, year and a half, two years, 
puberty, you're expecting it to start again on its own. So you're taking an abnormal process and trying to bring it to a, a normal time frame to begin. Mm-hmm. And what I've been saying with puberty blockers for gender dysphoria is you're taking a normal process of puberty that everyone is destined to go through for the most part. Um, and so you're, you're blocking and you're stopping a normal developmental process and you're actually causing an abnormal condition. And we have a long name for it in endocrinology called hypogonadotropic hypogonadism, which means what? It means rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it rolls just rolls off the tongue. It's uh, it just means that the pituitary is not sending the signal to the sex organs to to make their uh, either testosterone for males or uh, estrogen for females. That's an actual condition that people can develop, and it's an abnormal condition. And as endocrinologists, we try to treat it. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at this and saying, well, why are you causing this condition through medication? Hmm. It's just something seems wrong with that. So what do we know <laughs> about uh, or do what? Yeah. What do we know about the um, possible side effects of of puberty blockers? Have there been studies done on it? Because I know this is fairly a recent way yeah. to treat it. So it makes me wonder, like, how, how, if it's fairly recent, is it? correct to call it experimental i know that's that's kind of loaded language and, and can be I, I like to use i want to use language as neutrally as i can to not right. kind of inject but it, it feels a is it experimental i'll just say it and correct me if i'm wrong well or, in my opinion it's experimental and i mean i think i'm justified in saying that because uh, it's not fda approved for this condition i mean if, if you want to get fda approval you're going to go through experiments on people and prove that it's safe and prove that it's effective to some degree. And that has not been done for this. So you could you could call it not FDA approved or not FDA labeled for this condition. Um, so there, there's been some limited studies that recently, and I had put a, had a diagram at one point, it, just showing how bone density, what you'd expect during um, adolescent development is bones get stronger and stronger and tougher, what we call more dense. Mm-hmm. They're going to elongate, mm-hmm. they're going to become stronger. And so that's a very rapid progression because of sex hormones and growth hormone to some degree. Um, and what they showed was that where you'd expect it to rise, 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 it just flatlined. But to me, <laughs> the way it's written was deceptive, like, oh, well, the bone density didn't change. And I'm looking at this saying, well, it's supposed to change now. It's supposed to get stronger. You know, it's supposed to get stronger and bigger. But but you're showing that it's flatlined, which is exactly what you would expect huh. if someone wasn't going through puberty. Um, and now, what does that mean? Will the adult develop osteoporosis? Will they have uh, easier to have fractures as a teenager or a young adult? That we don't really know. But I would be concerned about that. And that's where you know, for me, being an adult uh, endocrinologist. I see uh, adult women and men with osteoporosis. You know, that's like a brittle bone condition. It's easy to fracture, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and as endocrinologists, we try to go through and, okay, what was it that led to this? Mm-hmm. Is it just mm-hmm. normal aging or did you have some other condition? Did you have hypogonadotropic hypogonadism or did you, you know, did you have some other glandular problem that led to this? And so um, when I, if I had a patient like this, say, oh yeah, I got blockers for four years as a child and I had osteoporosis, early osteoporosis, assuming this happens in the future, I would say, well, this is probably the reason because you didn't get that jump in bone density that you'd expect at that age. So just to be clear, so if they go on blockers for a few years and then go off blockers, the bone density doesn't improve, like it, it well, doesn't go back to the natural kind of development? That's a very good question. And that's where I would say it, it's unknown. Okay. Um, 
I would think that there would be some continued, if they're getting sex hormones, whether it's opposite sex or their own sex, there should be some continued increase in bone density. But there's also something we call peak bone density. That means somewhere around age 30, 25, 30, 35, a person hits their what we call peak bone density. It's about as strong as your bones are going to be. And then it kind of starts to slow down earlier. It's possible that they never reach their peak bone density. It never gets as strong as it's supposed to be. Okay. And the thing about puberty, too, is one other thing about puberty that to me is unknown is we know there's a starting point for puberty. And even um, scientifically, there's, there's signals. The pituitary starts telling the sex organs to make, make their hormones. So we know there's a start. But we don't really know, is there an end date to that? In other words, if you pass a certain period, can you really develop in all the ways you are supposed to? Hmm. And the body is a very complex, you know, uh, you know, wonderfully designed uh, uh, object. And the sex hormones are just part of it. There's also growth hormone. Growth hormone, what does it do? Well, as the name implies, there's growth involved. So what happens if you miss the timing of growth hormone with the sex hormones? What, what's going to happen? We don't know. There are so many unknowns in this mm-hmm. that that I think there's not just not a real good understanding. And, and now we're just talking about bones. Then there's yeah. how about brain development? How about you know? There's different. I, there's some things that so maybe there's an IQ drop. Maybe I, I don't know. Can we talk about um, brain development? Uh, I, yeah, I keep hearing people ra- raise questions about brain development and puberty blockers. What's what's yeah. going on there? Well, I mean, there's a couple, I mean, there's a couple aspects. There's, there's, there's the physical aspect of brain development, you know, what's actually happening in, in the neurons and things like that. And I would say that there's related the social, social development, socialization that goes along with it. <clears throat> but if you want to limit it to um, say brains and neurons and things like that, um, there's been different studies. Some have shown that maybe intel- the intelligence quotient, the IQ drops, um, there have been uh, scientists in Scotland, I believe, Scottish scientists looking at sheep brains. Somehow um, these hormones like LH, probably FSH, maybe uh, play some role in brain development and, and spatial knowledge or maybe mapping. I'm not very familiar with these studies, but I know they've looked into the possibility mm-hmm. that sheep could be harmed for whatever reason they're using it in agriculture for for puberty blockers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a big, big unknown there because we don't really know a lot about the brain when it comes down to it. And we know far less about pubertal development in the brain. Mm-hmm. So I, I, to some degree, the sex organs are, are, are changing the brain in important ways to develop into an adult. Mm-hmm. And when you block puberty, you're blocking the sex hormones and, and you're blocking some of those processes. We don't know exactly what they are, again, because it really the tests haven't been done. Mm-hmm. But then you get into also the socialization you know, aspect of it. The argument for the puberty blockers is that, well, this person you know, feels has gender dysphoria. They're very uncomfortable in their body. Let's say they're a female um, developing their body and they're very uncomfortable with it, and, and which is a normal part of development. The notion is that, well, we'll stop puberty and then that will end the discomfort and everything will be better. But what else was supposed to happen, you know, at that point? You know, you're, you're growing, you're maturing with your peers of, of the same sex and opposite sex. There are interactions that happen. You know, there is a socialization process that happens and, and one would find themselves falling behind the other kids effectively 
um, developmentally wise. And what effects does that have long term on them? You know, are there times where kids need to be together? I, I think in the pandemic, to go back, you're talking about the pandemic earlier. Uh, it's kind of interesting. And I, I wonder your perspective, too, that I, I can see it with kids who have been blocked for a period of time being with their peers, that, that there's a lot of depression and anxiety. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And these things going on in, in effect with puberty blockers, you're doing that chemically. You're, you're kind of chemically refraining them or restraining them from developing along with their peers. And, you know, what are the negative effects of that? Some of that we're seeing now, I think. Yeah. Is there a cardiovascular issues too? Or it seems like the theme here is we just don't know the long-term effects, but yeah. A lot of it we don't know. Now, cardiovascular, I, you know, I can't think offhand with puberty blockers per se. Okay. Definitely when you get into what they call cross-sex or opposite-sex hormones, that, that okay. comes into play. Yeah. Okay. So, well, maybe we can transition uh, there. So, um, yeah. Well, actually, actually, let me let me try to uh, play the other side for a second because I I know some sure. people say, well, you know, if and it, it, there's so many ideological assumptions that go into some of these counter arguments, but one of the main right. ones, right, is um, they're tra- you know, if you're trans, you're always trans, um, and if we can get them early and prevent them from going through puberty, then they will be, it'll be much easier for them to pass later on. I mean, to take jazz, I am jazz. I mean, look at jazz and you would never, I mean, jazz looks totally female. Right. Um, right. but if somebody goes through puberty and then tries to transition, they're always going to have a hard time passing. So it does seem like older trans right. activists are saying, Oh, what I would have given to have not gone through puberty in my biological sex, right then right. I would have been able to pass. I wouldn't have gotten the, you know, strange looks or whatever. There's that yeah. argument. And then there's also the suicide argument saying, yes, we, okay. So we, sure. If you eat bacon, you're taking a health risk. You drive a car, you're taking a health risk. And yeah. sure. There's going to be health risk with this, but as the saying goes, uh, better to have an alive son than a dead daughter or vice versa, yeah. because the suicide rate's so high. Um, you could pick both of those kind of counter arguments, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, yeah. Right. I mean, there's lots, there's lots of ways of looking at this. I mean, you, you could look at <clears throat> the desistance rates, which what's fancy term we use desistance, <clears throat> excuse me, which is really saying, you know, what um, young kids with gender dysphoria will eventually kind of grow out of that and decide, well, you know what, I, I was born a male and I want to stay a male. The desistance rates, depending on which studies you look at, are very high. Some as much as like 90% of these kids will eventually grow out of it. And, and some studies say, well, only 50% of girls or 80% of boys, but whatever. It's, it's a pretty high proportion. It's more than 1% or 10%. Yeah. So, however, once you introduce puberty blockers, the studies that are out there, you sh- they showed that at least the initial one that no- nobody desisted. None of them ended up saying, oh, OK, I was, I, I was in the right body the whole time. You know, something was wrong. None of them did because <clears throat> put it, I guess, because you can persist, in my opinion, persist the illusion that you can be the opposite sex because girls and boys, you know, it's very easy, isn't it, to just dress a certain different way, change the hair haircut uh, to make them look like the opposite sex when they're very young, because there's not much physical you know, differences when they have clothes on that you can tell. But as you said, once they become adults, there's changes to facial features and, and shoulder width and hips and all of that that are m- much harder to overcome, like, like, like you were saying. So <clears throat> I think that while I understand the argument that, hey, we want people to be comfortable as transgender adults, 
a significant portion of the young population would actually just grow out of this and how much harm are you causing them? You know, the other thing I, I was reading something the other day that the word gender comes from generative or the G E N part. You probably know more about this than I do, but is meaning generative or productive, or, you know, in this case, reproductive. So there are the external aspects of the sex, which we can see, but there are also the very important internal aspects you cannot produce ovaries in a male who's born a male. You cannot uh, create a, a uterus there. You know, the, the generative reproductive functions, we don't, we're, it's not scientifically possible to produ- to create those in the person. So while they may grow up as adults, say they started with puberty blockers and, and be able to pass, if you will, will they inside really believe that they've become the opposite sex when they're missing those reproductive organs and functions, which are really um, critical and, and uh, mm-hmm. important for, for the sexes. And yeah. yeah. Well, and you, well, sorry, I mean, are, do you hear an echo? I'm hearing an echo on my end. Oh, there it goes. No, it's fine. No, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, my echo. So it's not, okay. you're, you're fine. You sound great. Um, well, let, okay. yeah, let's, the, yeah, that's how, well, what about the suicide um, argument that sure there's health people that might say, okay, I agree with everything you're saying, but it, it's yeah. still better. Uh, the 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 high suicide rate still is a more of a health risk than these possible health risks that you're talking about. Yeah, I uh, my friend Hachi Horvath. I don't know if, if you yeah, know that no, name. I know of. Yeah, yeah, Hi, he's a he's a he's a great guy, and, and he he actually lived as a female for I think nine nine years yeah. or so. Um, but he's brilliant, and uh, he's an epidemiologist, and he's written quite a lot on this t- topic. Um, I think, I don't know if it was him, there's something about the myth of, of trans-suicide or, or this it's, idea it's that on, all um, of- It's on, um, oh gosh, yeah, I read it. It's a really, uh, the theater, theater of the body. Um, yeah, I so, think that's the one. And it's a really lengthy arg, uh, discussion about this very topic from somebody who used yeah. to be a trans woman and transitioned right. back to male. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that to everyone who you know is interested in the topic to to, to read his stuff. And I, and I wouldn't even do well at paraphrasing it, but but effectively, I, I think the this idea that there's all sorts of kids who are going to commit suicide if they don't get uh, treatment is basically false. Um, and that, um, in fact, you know, I've had different parents contact me about their children. And one thing I've found is just delaying, trying as much as possible to delay them from starting hormones or surgeries or or giving them reasons to doubt. For one kid, he even just sort of grew out of it. He said, well, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, so yeah, maybe if you don't so if you don't support the child or, or they think there's no other option, maybe depression and anxiety and suicide risk is higher. But mm-hmm. if you support them and let them know, in, in my opinion, as an endocrinologist, let them know about possible harms from hormones, then they might think differently. I, I there was a young man I talked to, 19 or 20 years old, with gender dysphoria, and, you know, he and he said, you know, I just always felt this desire. I, I need to cut my penis off, you know. And he was, when I spoke to him more, <clears throat> he's very disturbed by things happening in society, like, you know, like rape or, or females getting taken advantage of and, and all the horrible things you hear, hear on the news to the point where I think he really hated his male sex, which was symbolized in a real way by, by his penis, which he wanted to remove. 
But I spent some time talking to him about, well, these are the harms and things like that. And and that's sort of, I don't know that that swayed him, but what I found interesting is, you know, we start talking about kids. It really bothered him to know that kids might be getting puberty blockers uh, or hormones or surgeries. He just thought that was wrong. You know, they need time to develop. Mm. And in a sense, I don't think he wanted to be a role model for that sort of thing. He he just had a certain psychological issue and there was probably more to it. And he was also an autistic spectrum that, um, you know, there was something wrong with maleness and that was his idea to fix it, I guess. Well, there, you know, I I haven't heard it from the male side before, but it's been very well known and well studied that many, um, and by many, I mean, according to some studies, more than 50% of uh, females who experience gender dysphoria would say that they either during the experience or maybe later on when they maybe transition or detransition, they they would say that um, I had profound internalized misogyny. I had this really negative yeah. view of femaleness. Maybe it's linked to some right. traumatic episode. Um, maybe it's just uh, I was in an environment where fe- femi- femaleness or femininity was seen as lesser than, and I just internalized that. And And again, these are coming from people who – are female who identified as trans or experienced dysphoria. And they said addressing internalized misogyny was connected to some kind of reduction in, in the dysphoria. Um, right. So that's interesting because that's the same thing. You're, it's exactly what you're saying only on the male side. Um, right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so let's talk, say, uh, so we have to make a distinction between puberty blockers and then cross-sex hormones. And as you said, according to some studies, I, I know that I've read that study that 100% of the people that were on blockers ended yeah. up going on cross-sex hormones. So these two are right. very much uh, linked. If you do one, right. there's a really good chance you will end up going on the other. So what do we know about cross-sex uh, hormones? There's, there's probably more more known about that uh, in a sense because that then you're dealing with more adults who've been on cross-sex hormones for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're talking about, you know, just I think it helps to – I wish I, I, I almost meant to bring a diagram, but uh, <clears throat> think about when, as an endocrinologist, we're dealing with hormones and we're dealing with levels. You know, you, you go to the lab, you probably get sometimes you get your lab sheet or you can look online and say, OK, you know, my level's supposed to be here, but it's over there or, or it's supposed to be here and it is here. Thank goodness. You know, and same thing with hormones. You can find normal levels of estrogen or testosterone for males and females, you know, and the main female hormone is estrogen or we call estradiol. But females are also making some uh, smaller proportion of testosterone, and that's normal. Okay, so to give you an idea of a normal range, let's say it's from 5 up to 50. So if if I were to test uh, a female hormone level and it was 30, I'd say, okay, that's fine. You're not having an issue where you're producing too much. Okay. Now, there's a, a, a female condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome which there can be cysts in the ovaries, there can be irregular menstrual cycles, infertility, but, and this is due to higher levels of testosterone or, or similar substances in the body. So they might get hair growth on the face where they don't want it, they could get acne, um, masculinizing things can happen to them. Hmm. Now, I, if I test that, that woman, uh, maybe her level's 55, maybe it's five over normal, or 10, or maybe 50 above normal, okay? So maybe it's 100, let's say. And, and that's enough to cause different problems in the body, metabolic problems, glucose problems, lipid problems, cholesterol, okay? Now, if you're talking about transitioning male t- or female to male, these are going to be much higher. The, the recommendation is bring it to 300 to 1,000. 
Wow. And if you do the math on that, that can be, depending where you start with, 10 to 100 times above the normal level for that person's body. And that's why when I started looking at this, I'm like, wow, this is incredibly high. If I'm seeing problems with PCOS just a little bit above normal, what is going to happen when you're going 10, 20 times higher than normal? You're bound to have problems. And that, that gives you some perspective on the on the magnitude of the hormone. And so some studies are a review study by Erwig, which I can send to you from 2018, showed increased risk of cardiovascular mortality from high doses of estrogen testosterone. Um, if you talk about what we call thromboembolic disease or blood clots, uh, you might have heard of pulmonary embolism clot in the, in the lung or in the, um, in the leg and so forth. That's a five times increased risk from taking estrogen, estradiol in males. So we know there's risks there. Um, I was just, I think the, the quote from British Medical Journal, I think it was 46 times increased risk of male breast cancer from estrogen. 46 times? 46 wow. times increase. Now, it's males can get breast cancer. I think it's like 3%. I don't remember the exact number of all breast cancers. But males, even without taking estrogen, can get breast cancer. But this has gone up 46 times. Wow, is it um, is it the same? So is it the same from the same level of risk across different of these areas with males taking high doses of estrogen and females testosterone, or or are females taking it, testosterone at a higher risk? You know, I am I'm, I'm not quite sure because <clears throat> really there hasn't been as many cases. It hasn't been going on as long. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, if you talk about um, sorry, the testosterone uh, for females. Hang on one sec. I think there's a big, and I've, what I did as I looked and I said, okay, what is the nearest equivalent that you can find of a a female with really high testosterone? And there are some isolated cases where maybe the ovary or some other organ starts making testosterone. It's hard to find, but I thought you can think of a near equivalent of bodybuilding or, or athletes, female athletes who are using high doses of of androgens Mm -hmm. or testosterone or something similar what's happening to their body and what, and what's happening to their minds. Hmm. You know, one side effect of, of people taking high doses of androgens is actually euphoria, feeling really great. Yeah. You know, yeah. as you might imagine, like, wow, I got all this testosterone circuit. I feel great, you know, and, and that can be a temporary effect. But another proportion, I think it was 10 or 20% developed psychiatric disturbances, um, worsening of like, anxiety, depression, things like that. So, so the other aspect beyond the physical is what's happening to people's mental health while they're taking these very high doses of hormones. Going back to the brain, if you've developed a female brain with estrogen and now you're on these super high doses of testosterone, and males have some understanding of that, you know, going through puberty, what it's like, um, you have a female body, a female developed a brain, what's going to happen? So much of this is unknown, but some of it, I think, can be found looking at, you know, high doses of, of steroids and, and um, androgen abuse. So what I want to yeah, revisit what you just said about the, the euphoria, because I have seen in some studies and also just anecdotally, like yeah. if you talk to somebody who's been on androgens, you know, a female who goes on hormones, yeah. cross-sex hormones, uh, man, you talk to them six months later, a year later, year and a half later, they're like, yeah. I, if I'm fixed. I'm so happy. I, I feel like I can yeah. conquer the world, you know? It's like... Yeah, 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 of course. But you're saying the two, three, five years after that, 
that's when we're starting to see yeah. a lot more the negative, just men, even mental health, or even just they don't feel that euphoria anymore. Was that fairly accurate to say? I, I think that's accurate to say. And, and there's the the Swedish study. Um, mm-hmm. Can't pronounce the name in Swedish, but D H E J N E. That you probably know Dejane or Hene or. But anyways, um, which is a, in my opinion, a, a really excellent study. But anyone should look at it and just pull open. Uh, the graph that shows uh, mortality and and how rapidly at around 10 years, people who have been on hormones and, and who've had surgeries, they're, they start dying off much faster than the popu- general Swedish population that they're compared to. Hmm. And some of that's due to suicide. And some of that uh, could be due to cardiovascular disease or, or other things. Um, and also, you, you probably know, I'm sure you know the name Walt, Walt Heyer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Walt's another great guy who who also lived as a female for nine or 11 years. Uh, he has a really interesting story, but and I've talked to him quite a few times and re- read his books. Um, but when I talked to him, he said, yeah, you know, I, you, Mike, I usually people start writing letters to, I think it's, what's his site, transgenderregret.com or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember the exact, sexchangeregret.com. Sexchangeregret, yeah. Yeah. So you start writing me emails. He goes, sure enough, it's somewhere, you know, eight to 12 years that they've been doing great. And all of a sudden, you know, they can't deal with the body that they now have that's been, you know, could be surgically altered, chemically altered. Yeah. Something about this time frame. um, Many of the people decide I did the wrong thing. I regret what I did. So, so. This is fascinating. So this, because there has been, as you know, many different studies done on the effects of sex reassignment surgery. Some of those studies, though, if they're done a year after the surgery or in two years, yeah. you're, what you're saying is that's going to yield a real kind of warped, inaccurate perspective. You need to do five, 10, 15, more longitudinal yeah. Um, measurements, right? To get a more yeah, accurate. Yeah. I, I think it's really skewed. And some of it may be hormones, you know, like we we're just talking about. Um, another, you know, male who took estrogen is like, you know, I just felt great. I was just floating along and, you know, nothing bothered me. And people complimented me. It, it was great, you know, until he didn't take it for a few days. And, and he kind of, he said, snapped out of it. He's like, wow, I didn't realize under this sort of cloud or illusion. And, and he ended up detransitioning. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, I, I, we really, you know, being an endocrinologist, I think we really underestimate the, the power of hormones in our lives, you know, whether they be physical, which we concentrate on a lot, but also mental. You know, a lot of what I do is treat, treat obviously treat hormone disorders. If, you, if your thyroid levels are really low or really high, you're going to have, you know, some major effects that could land you in the hospital. If you're, uh, you know, a male who's got very low testosterone, that it can cause depression, it can cause different mental health effects. Um, and so, and then on the other hand, if you take really high doses, you might feel great for a time, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. anything. So extreme caution needs to be, yeah. these things need to be handled with extreme caution. And I just think, especially when we're dealing with kids, I mean, adults can make up their own minds. Uh, I mean, they should be aware of what the probable, you know, possible complications are. But when we're dealing with kids who really don't fully understand, what does it mean to have my own child? You know, what is, what does it mean to have sexual relations with another person, Mm -hmm. Um, which kids on puberty blockers probably will not have, if they go from puberty blockers 
to cross sex hormones without developing their organs, they, they most likely will not have normal sexual relations when they're older wow. and may wow. never be able to form a lasting partnership because of it. Wow. And these on, are things on, like, how do you know that when you're nine? Oh, okay. I'm, I want to have a kid. I want to have this and that. You know, you don't want those things when you're nine. Most nine-year-olds aren't thinking long-term anything, really. No, they shouldn't most, be, right? I mean, most 19-year-olds aren't thinking. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what about infertility? Is I've heard that if you're on cross-sex hormones, both for males and females, for I think I've heard at least a year and a half or maybe two years that it's almost guaranteed you will be infertile for life. Is that – or what's the – what's the what are the you facts? You know, I, I don't think that's a settled – some people maybe on my side of the argument are, um, can be convinced of that. I, th I mean, what you can say is if you stop development uh, prior to – there's a time when a male can produce sperm um, in, during puberty and, and a female can ovulate. And if you stop development prior to that and then go to cross-sex hormone, for sure they're going to be infertile. Now, the question is can all that be reversed? Okay. Uh, there's some, you know – Specialist, I think you had Paul Paul Ruse on your yeah, on your yeah. show. Yeah, uh, Paul Paul's like no. You know, once you're on it for a certain period of time, maybe he he had that a year or two. You know, it's I don't think you're going to be fertile at that point. Okay. And you know he he's a he's a professor and, and he knows his stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's been studied enough to know, but I I would sure be <laughs> convinced that there's going to be damage there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised it's permanent. I mean, I, I would let a person know that, hey, this could be permanent damage to your body. Yeah. Is, is it easy for kids to get cross-sex hormones or blockers? I mean, because I've heard two sides of this. I've heard like they're handing it out, handing them out on the street corners like candy. Not quite, but I mean, <laughs> oh, versus like, oh, it's all conspiracy theory. Nobody under, you know, 16 or 18 can even get these or well-studied. And we've already kind of covered yeah, the yeah, well-studied yeah. piece, but like, is it something that is easy to get? I know I've heard Planned Parenthood centers very easy to get. Are people diagnosing kids uh, thoroughly before they get them, or what's? Uh... Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably easier to get cross-sex hormones or opposite-sex hormones from a place like Planned Parenthood. I don't know if they're doing puberty blockers per se. Some of the things we know about puberty blockers being used on kids, you know, as young as eight are through studies they've done, like at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, so so we know it's being done or UC San Francisco. We, we, we know it's being done. I don't know how widespread okay. it is if you went to, you know, rural Idaho, if someone's yeah. giving it, for example. Probably not, but it's possible. What about um... – uh, this is going to change the conversation a little bit, but it is related. Yeah. Uh, the whole trans athlete conversation um, are from an, endo I, I wasn't planning even asking this, but I mean, I think yeah. this is kind of your area, like from a endocrinology perspective um, are, let's just say biological males. Well, I got two scenarios, a biological male who go, who are, is on blockers and then cross sex hormones who never went through male puberty. Are they at any a biological advantage over females um, or and then also uh, if they do go through um, puberty or whatever but then later on take estrogen and reduce their testosterone mm -hmm. are they are they at an advantage do you have any thoughts or that's interesting <clears throat> um, so you're talking about a kid who maybe got puberty blockers very early puberty yeah and then maybe later took estrogen or thinking about taking estrogen um, you know 
Probably in that case, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, they, they would not have the same advantage as, say, an adult male who decides to transition to a female. <clears throat> because I think that the effects of testosterone on the heart, lungs, and bones uh, are the key to making, during development, are the key to making the difference. So they may not, and you, I mean, you could argue they could be at some disadvantage even, uh, boy, let's say boys who got puberty blockers because of the blockage of bone development, probably muscle development, things like that. They, they may be at some disadvantage. I, I've also I heard, again, this is, um, so a, a male gets in, during, de- during prenatal development, gets a wash of testosterone at eight to 10 weeks, I think. And that's where you know, forms early stages of genitalia. Yeah. And then I heard at like eight months, another wash kind of towards the end of their prenatal development. And then I, I thought I read somewhere. And again, I, I hate, I, you know, <laughs> you and I, we read a lot of studies and we don't always take right. notes and I don't have anything in front of me, but I thought I remember seeing, hearing that after shortly after birth, they get, the body gives another kind of push of testosterone so that a, biological male even before puberty does has had some level i think it's probably minor but some level of effect on their body with testosterone does, does any of that verify or do you know or yeah, there are some yeah i don't remember that yeah after birth it can be very high levels of, of testosterone in males i don't remember female yeah. differences but i it's such a short period of time i i don't know how much of a difference that wouldn't okay but okay, so what about some, what about a male who has gone through puberty? Um, they've developed as a male, then later on they take estrogen, <clears throat> testosterone reductors, yeah. or whatever, if if that's a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I'm and I'm not an expert on this topic, but uh, you know they're they're going to have an increase in in heart size. The male who's gone through puberty, um, lung capacity, muscle size that that aren't diminished by take. Well, they're diminished to some degree. And I don't remember the percent is like 10 or 20 percent or something of what, what they were before. Um, not enough to change their body to the equivalent female uh, okay. level of performance. I, I don't think so. I, I haven't studied this in yeah. depth, but yeah. my opinion is no. OK, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, sorry to put you on the spot with that. Let, no, let's no, go ahead and change to um, let's yeah. go to how much time do you have? You have a. Uh... Yeah. Oh, okay. We just got a few more minutes. So I, I, I ask a question on Twitter uh, for people to send in their questions. So if you didn't get that, if you're not on Twitter, sorry, uh, folks, that you didn't get to ask your question. But l- let me go down here and we can do these. Let's do these fairly quick. Um, uh, we've already covered some of these. What evidence do we have that the application of these treatments yields improved mental health? Um so referring yeah. to puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, uh, what evidence do we have that they improve mental health? I think we have. Yeah. I mean, even just this week, it was uh, one of my colleagues, Quentin Van Meter, sent me something, Journal of Endocrine Society, where they were kind of making a splash that, hey, we did a review of all these studies. And guess what? This improves mental health and, and such. Okay. And then when you look closer at it, they even admit in their paper, well, these were all low quality studies. Um, and some of the studies weren't included. The Swedish study I referred to, hmm. uh, the Brandstrom study that initially came out in American Journal of Psychology saying, hey, guess what? Surgeries, you know, improve uh, outcomes for anxiety and depression, things like that. And a bunch of us wrote letters and say, well, no, there's a lot of problems with what you've done. And yeah. they ended up retracting that. So 
a lot of things that are out there and, and make headlines, you have to dig in deeper and find out. Usually the studies are not very well done or don't have a lot of patients in it. And especially with kids, we just don't know a lot. Yeah, I read that the Brandstrom study, and I read you and several other people your critiques. And yeah, they're pretty scathing. I was like, man, that. And then to the point to where well, they retracted the article, or at least significantly corrected it. Like, their wow, conclusion, that's... yeah, they retract, and it's great that that they listen to the criticism, you know, and and uh, that people are out there saying, hey, let's take another look at this, and all of science should be yeah. like that. Really. Our next question, uh, can he, you, uh, can you let us know some prescription medicine names to reactivate the brains of those who want to prescribe puberty blockers? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. If, he, if that doesn't immediately make yeah, sense to you. Um, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, the, the other thing about puberty blockers is that, it, as I was saying, you know, let's say some, a kid decides, well, I don't want to be on this anymore. It could take a year. It could take a year and a half for the signals to restart and and maybe it's delayed indefinitely we don't we don't really know there's no like like on off switch where okay you take this medicine to turn it off and we'll take the, this other medicine to turn it back on again there really doesn't exist that sort of mechanism so you have to wait to see for the body to sort of naturally play itself out after that so all right what do you think about bills like the one in arkansas blocking these treatments in the name of child safety i'm assuming they're referring to puberty blockers not necessarily cross-sex hormones yeah i i was involved in one of the first bills in south dakota that ultimately failed sadly um to help block these sort of treatments for kids and and i think to me the main one of the main things that has to do with consent and informed consent like we were talking about earlier does a child have the maturity to know what's going to happen to their body? Not only, you know, their heart, their lungs and so forth, but can they comprehend really what it means to have a, a reproductive life when they're older or normal sexual function? And I would argue that they, they, they don't and that therefore all of these treatments should be delayed to adulthood. So I think what they're doing in Arkansas is very, very brave and very necessary. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. hopefully other states will follow. I'm sure it'll be challenged, you know, all the way up to the Supreme court. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and so people really need to get educated in the public about the different sort of harms and problems, but especially c- kids, you know, kids who can't really comprehend what they want when they're 35, 40, you know, 50 mm-hmm. or 25. Um, that's the main crux of the issue. Adults is different, but we're looking at kids. We're talking about can they really comprehend what's going to happen to them? All right. One more question. Uh, and we'll let you go. Sure. This one's kind of broad and it covers some of the stuff we talked. Actually, no, we haven't actually talked about this specific issue, but um, what parts of the issue of gender dysphoria and blockers has broad agreement among most experts and which are more controversial, even if some of the controversial ideas you might agree with? Like, is there kind of broad agreement across endocrinologists on much of what you've said, or is it so politicized Um, that it's hard to even answer the question? Yeah, no, you hit on the head. It's very politicized. I I think the problem is when you get into these organizations, you have a small group of people who are coming up with papers and and dictates from above that get pushed out to the public, including most physicians, where most of us didn't have any input for it. So, you know, something might look like a broad consensus. Well, it was published and all these other groups are, you know, the American Pediatrics Society or AAP um, agrees with it. But who is actually agreeing with it? Maybe a handful of people in one organization, a handful in the other. And the rest of us who are out practicing, doing our jobs, 
we may not agree with it at all. So there's a difference between what's coming out from academia and the organizations and, and say like the real uh, doctors on the ground out there, many of them who are probably afraid to talk about this subject. So yeah, yeah there's the political aspect, there's the climate of you know, creating fear in doctors for, for speaking out against it because they don't want to be labeled you know, transphobic or whatever it is. Yeah. But I'm just talking about biology and health, you know, in, in kids yeah. when they grow up. That's how I look at it. I'm not I'm not aiming at any particular group. I just want to say, hey, let's let's really think about this. These are powerful hormones. What are we doing? I don't care that the organization said it. It's isn't it up to us to question authority and think these things through? I, I think it is. It's it's incumbent on us physicians and healthcare people to really think carefully about this and not simply go along with the crowd because it's uh, you know um, because we're afraid. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Michael, uh, we're at an hour here. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'd, I'd hate to send me your, your bill, how much I owe you for an hour. Of your time. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but no, really, I'm really sure do appreciate it. And I, I just love the way you're able to talk about this with, uh, you know, just a really fair, open-minded kind, um, a very level-headed kind of perspective. So thank you for that. I know a lot of people are going to benefit from this. Oh, great. Okay. Thanks a lot, Preston. Right. Good to see you. Take care.